I got I got a chance to meet Eric a little closer as well. So it was nice. He's you know he's rad. There's he that guy. He's obviously for me. He's a he's a mentor and a hero and sure. just an amazing person altogether. You know. So he is, and it's great. He's fantastic. He's with the kids and stuff like that. Working yeah. with the junior, with the juniors, and then with the little kids on the fifty cc's. Yeah, from the fifties to the eighty fives to the fifties to the five hundreds. Perfect. He's the right guy in the right place for that. You know what, Wilbur's? I don't know. I don't know how much social media you're 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 on, but my kid Wilbur, he's down at Eric's place right now. And okay. He went there last Friday, almost uh -huh. a week ago, and he's been. He went to the Danish under twenty one final. Then he went to the uh, the Danish senior final on the Sunday. Uh -huh. They did practice on two fifties. He's been practicing two or three times on the 250 now, one time on the 85s, and they got uh -huh. one more, I think, this week before they go to the Danish 85cc championship on Sunday, and then he comes home Monday. So he's, like, living the dream, man. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that's the coolest thing for the kids. I mean, that's just awesome. It, it's super cool. I mean, you know, like you said, too, it's, you get a guy like Eric who's he's so open, you know, mm -hmm. a guy who's got as so much success as he had in the sport, and the Danes were always, you know, so yeah. focused and so different and ahead of the rest for so many years that's it, that's it. Uh, it's, it's just cool it's really cool it is it is so just to make clear for everybody it's eric Gunderson you're talking about yeah right exactly yeah so we yeah. So, uh we're live right now with, okay with thomas kuzinski we want to welcome you to the real 45 podcast well thank you for inviting me so it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to to talk with you guys and and talk shop <laughs> pretty much that's it too right that's it we're, that's it. we're more honored actually because you know you're when i uh talked to you about this uh a week or two ago we kind of dropped it in just as a hey how about uh joining us on the podcast i thought you know what like thomas is the guy that everybody knows who you are and but i don't know how much people really know about you and and your life your background and obviously we know you as being involved with with thomas Golov for as his manager for so many years and in, in the sport and but who is thomas kaczynski you know that's that's kind of for me i i know you pretty pretty well from the sports side of it you know sure uh, you've got an yeah. accent very similar to mine that's it well i was like i mean i don't know how many people know about it but i was born and raised in america and uh, i've been living out here for almost 30 years now i've worked out of the 30 years with with Tomek, i worked for 25 years so you and i obviously go back a long ways uh yeah so yeah, so that that's where the accent comes from, and and the whole I guess background part of it. And uh, I'm based in Bedgush, which, which isn't a surprise. It's it's good because it's Thomas's hometown as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, we we go back a long time. I remember I remember the first time we had a. Always when I think about the very, I was thinking about this when we before that we went on. The first time we we came like really close into contact, I think it was '94. It was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, the one-off final in Voyens. Yeah. You, you were fourth. You missed it by a point. You missed the runoff by a point. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next day, Polonia Bidgos, the club that Thomas represented, was had, had a, a race-off for being relegated against Leshno, and that's the club you represented. <laughs> I do remember and, this. Uh, and if everybody remembers 94, that was a time where Thomas was knocked out in, in the world final, completely unconscious. He was transported back to, to Bidgos. Was a young kid back then, and it's a situation. It's a do or die for the club, and uh, we had to literally put him on the bike. He couldn't get on the bike himself. He did his three races. Oh. He won all three of them, 
And uh, I mean, I don't know how, how far we should go into it, but I guess it's, it's history past, but he, was, <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't remember half the races. He'd come oh. off and I'll literally ask him, did I win? Or was I second? Or Yeah, you won. He said, okay. We sat him down, got him back on the bike, did another race and a third oh. race. And then after when we knew points wise, okay, that's it. We took him back home. We went to the hospital and everything like that. Oh shit! So, <laughs> uh, if I can't. I, I don't remember which races if you were in with him or not. But if if you lost the race, you had someone had to lose the race against him. But whoever he was losing against, it was with an unconscious stomach. Oh man! But, but in all, <laughs> but in all fairness, I guess it was on a track he could race with his eyes closed. This yeah. isn't football. No, this is not football. <laughs> exactly. Mm. There's there's the living proof of it right there, right? That's it. That's it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the about that is like he's like you said he's his uh, his memory and all that stuff wasn't there but you can't take you can't take the racing out of the spine he just went out there no. he the clutch and went around and just said what that's did I it do? he was on autopilot i guess was he cool about it uh later on know. when we told him about it he didn't know because literally he, he didn't know where he was he didn't know if you he'd come off the race take his helmet off and he was asking us did i win the race oh my gosh i mean it's 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 scary now when you think about it but you did what you had to do back then it was I mean, maybe different times and then it is what it is, but I, I think in some, uh, to some extent, some of that still somewhat kind of on the border today, right? It's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's how, how quick or how good you are at hiding it. Exactly. Exactly. Now it's, it's 20, almost 25 years past. So I guess we can talk about it. <laughs> how, how did it make you, you feel as you had to take that decision? I think in all fairness, those were my beginnings. So I wasn't really making the decisions. It was, uh, I was, I was coming up through the ranks, let's say, but his dad was, was still running the show back then. Okay. And it was more his dad's call. Right. All right. Uh, I, uh, we've had many situations coming along the way where I already had the, the call In all fairness, uh, I would have pulled out. Uh, it is what it is. And we'd either lose or we wouldn't lose, but, uh, I wouldn't have risked uh, the riders, uh, uh, health because that's now maybe looking at it as a different from a different standpoint and a young being an older guy now I would have always taken the, the the aspect of the health of the rider instead of the the relegation of the, of the club you can go up you can go down but then again back then it was a little more of history because that was the only club in Poland that it was never relegated down to first division oh is that right yeah yeah oh interesting see those are all the other clubs have gone up and down up and down Polonia in that time yeah. was the only club that didn't. They went down the first time, I think, in 2008. No kidding. Yep. Ooh, yep. That, that's, that's, a, that's a cool stat. That's it. So that was, one of the, that was one of the, I guess, one of the reasons also, uh, and I think it's a little different when a rider is uh, representing his own club. It's a little more closer to his heart, and he gives it that much more, a little more effort. And uh, that's why I guess, Tommy, being from Bidgosh, riding for Bidgosh, never, them never being relegated, he put in the effort, went on autopilot, and did what he had to do to save the club. But man, you know, to look back, like you just said there too, like maybe it's a different time frame or whatever. Now you're married with kids, and obviously yes, exactly. Thomas has got kids too, and and everything has changed so much over the years. However, there's there's still so much history. And one more thing is, you talk about Thomas on autopilot. Whenever he rides around Big Gosh, it's like he's on autopilot. That's just, true. It, you know, and you just the worst place to be in that. I think Bidgosh is one of the, the greatest tracks ever in Speedway because it's just full of opportunity. Yeah. And you have to be on your game. The yeah. worst place to be on that track is in the front, uh -huh. unless you're Thomas Golub. Because <laughs> <laughs> every, everyone's gunning for you, A, and everyone can ride any, any line on that track. 
yeah. inside outside you don't know what what line to to you gonna shut the inside you're gonna ride it wide you don't know what to do right if you That's put it. if you like put you go on youtube and just punch in bid you know bid gosh polonia bid gosh or whatever right. it is, you're gonna see some crazy crazy events you know i mean we've had some great grand prix events we've had some great league events but sure, sure. being in front of, of uh, thomas gola bit you know big gosh i've i've been in front of him and behind him two or three times at least in one heat oh, and wow. uh, at the when you get to the finish line it's almost like like uh like nascar or getting in the draft you got to make sure you hit the draft at the right time so you get the slingshot <laughs> exactly exactly i mean one of the we're talking about the, we're talking about the track and bid goes the one i remember the most with you involved was the uh, the semifinal of the World Cup in oh, I think 2012? Yeah. It was you, Emil, and Tomek, and I think Gibson, a Danish Gibson. rider. I think it was Hans. I think it was, Gibson, but Hans Gibson. wasn't really in the mix. But it was the three you guys in four laps. Everyone was leading. Everyone was third yeah. at least three times. I was last and, at and one point too. You were last, and you came up to the first again. That got third. Tomek was up and down, and uh, if you watch it through. Uh, the Sky Sports commentator. You can hear Kelvin Tatum just going absolutely berserk. Yeah. <laughs> he does the fantastic commentating of that. And you won that heat, and everyone was surprised because America didn't, didn't make the qualifiers. Uh, yeah. It was between Russia and Poland points-wise. But everyone was surprised why is Greg so happy. And I, I, I always obviously knew because you won, you won a heat yes. there, which was an awesome heat between Emil and Tomek and yourself. So it was just that I much was better. more happy because I just beat Thomas Golub around big gosh. That's it. I, I remember this is an iconic uh, situation because there's a lot of photos and I got a lot of stick from the press. Uh -huh. Some of the and the Polish TV guys, they gave me such a hard time because sure. they thought that I went out there to try to stuff Poland to let Russia sure. win. Uh -huh. And and because they, they looked and I looked back at Thomas coming out of the corner like a big look back. Uh -huh. and, uh, I remember I had a, almost had a fight with the TV guy at the hotel after the race. Really? Because, yeah. Because I didn't know that. Out, yeah, it was. It's hilarious because the guy literally. I I escorted the guy out. I was so angry, and I don't. It takes a lot to make me angry, but sure. the guy came in. And he was trying to say you you tried to screw Poland and you wanted to let Russia win, and I was trying to tell him, you know, like everyone's starting to have a drink and relax, uh -huh. and I'm sure, like, no, sure. man, I just I was stoked because I I beat Thomas Kolob in his backyard, and not many uh -huh. people do that. Sure. And this guy refused it. And he was just on me constantly trying to get me to say, yes, I did that. And I just uh -huh. I asked him outside and I said, basically, you can, you know, That's <laughs> you it. Know now. That's it. I, said, I would never do that to Poland. I said, huh? if you understand how good Thomas Kolob is in Bidgosh, when I came out of the last corner and he was behind me at that stage, because he was in front of me, I was in first, last, third, second. Everyone and was I came everywhere. out in front on that corner and I looked back and was like, no way. I just beat Thomas in this heat. It was it was mm. intense too. I mean, the blood, the adrenaline uh, flowing in the body after a heat like that was crazy. Sure. So uh, every once in a while it pops up and still I see that TV guy, you know, all the time. And I look at him and I still remember him coming up trying to say that. I <laughs> <laughs> but does he, does he come up to you now like normally or is he all right now with it? Ah, he's all right with it. You know, it was just one of those times. But every time I see him, I still think like, why would you try to manipulate a situation? I got way too much respect for Thomas Gullib or, you know, why would I try to stuff another country? I, I'm not that sure. kind of guy, you know. Sure, sure. Whoever's going to win is going to win. And if Poland's strong up, they're going to go to the race off anyways. It is what it is, but. Yeah. So we had nothing to gain there. It was all about, I just wanted, sure. I just wanted, I just wanted to win against Thomas and big gosh. And that doesn't happen very often. No, no, that's true. That's true. So, no, it, it was good. That was a good, that was one of the ones I remember as well. That's another one going back in history a little.
Hey, there was one more too, one more Grand Prix, if you remember too, with myself. 2008. Yeah, with Billy and, and Lee Adams and Thomas. Do you remember? I, I don't know if it was 2008. Oh, maybe Billy. Okay, we're Billy going Adams back together. Thomas Scullab, uh, Lee Adams, and myself. And we, I literally, I think I nearly crossed two wheels over the white line in one corner, coming out of one corner, because it was they, it was a rainy night and they had t- taken all the dirt off the track and you couldn't uh-huh. see the white line. So uh-huh. I had just turned it and pointed it, and then suddenly I was up on top of the dirt that they had bladed on <laughs> on the inside of the track, and it came out of the corner, but nobody could see where I was, and I didn't know where I was, but I just uh-huh. and we. Was, man, this couldn't be one of the final heats. It wasn't a final heat. It was one of the normal, like a. I th- I can't remember, man. I don't and, yeah. Because I don't think Lee was ever in a final here in Bedgush. It might have been a just a heat or a semifinal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so I can't I remember just, that one. And it was a really good one too. And of course, Thomas was in it and he was riding his usual line around the fence and then turning back up the inside and passing you as he's passing you. He's looking at you just to see where you, what you're thinking, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. what are you going to try now? But That's it. What are you talking about? If, I mean, if we can, we can go on about Thomas, if that's all right, if that's not a problem with you guys for now, I can give you, talking about Billy, I'll give you another perfect example of uh, how, how special Tomic was and how, how special it was working with the, with a guy like him. We're at, in Vasterbeek. That's a club that Tomek represented for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's a league meeting. I can't remember which team we're against. But anyways, we have one of our junior riders, a Swedish rider. Everyone's all stoked that he's an up-and-coming rider. Uh, and he had, this, he had his equipment, and he scored like three zeros. And all the zeros he was scoring, he was coming back. Oh, the kit's no good. The kit's no good. The bike is shit, this and that. And everyone's listening. Okay, it must be the kit since he's such an up-and-coming rider and this and that. Fair enough. Tomek's riding his bike, comes out after a heat. His clutch is completely toasted, done. And he's got, I think, one heat break. Tomek just takes off his gloves and the goggles, doesn't even take off his helmet. And if everyone knows Tomek, he was a guy that always liked to fiddle with his own kit. Mm-hmm. He was always on the bike on, with his clutches, with the engines and this and that. So he's doing his own clutch up. He's taking it completely apart. There's springs and nuts and, and clutch plates rolling all over the, the park, the pit area. And he's working and working. He's completely in the zone. He doesn't hear anything what's happening. That the, other, the second heat goes by, and I'm telling him, Tommy, listen, Tommy, we're going out in this heat now. He doesn't even answer. He doesn't even look at me. He's doing the clutch. <laughs> he's putting clutch plates in and out. Tommy, the green light's on. He's not doing He's not even looking at me. <laughs> I said, Tommy, we're on two minutes. I said, Tommy, we got a minute and a half. A minute. And I'm yelling, minute. We got a minute. He finally gets up. Because he knows he's not going to do his own bike. The clutch is totally, I mean, there's, everything's on the, on the floor. <laughs> Puts on his goggles and his gloves. I said, get me a freaking bike. And we took the junior's bike. The guy that got three zeros. Tomek goes out. Just literally, they push him out. Push him out to the, to the tapes. He's out there with Billy. One of the greatest heats with Billy in Vastavik ever. They're just up and down, in, up first and second, first and second between them. An awesome heat. <laughs> Thomas loses this heat comes in and he goes up to the junior says you know what this bike isn't bad it i just changed a little i tighten up the clutch a little a little tweak i tweak it just a little the kid's so embarrassed he just takes off his leathers and goes into the into the changing rooms just so there's a perfect example of it's it's more man than the the machine in speedway oh my gosh that's yeah and yeah tom this is a classic guy i've seen him do that in in polish league events too and jump yeah. on some other rider's bike and just that's smoke people. That's it. Just, you can see that the, the rider's looking at him just going, no way. <laughs> I can't say anything now. <laughs> that's it. 
the World Cup was like that. And I think in 2008, uh, it was Australia and Poland going for the title. Lee was unbeatable. Tomic had a bad day with, with Kit uh-huh. and just could not get – he was like on three points. But the way it went, went up mathematically, everyone else would have taken Tomic out. But because it's mathematically, we couldn't put in the wild card or anything like that or the joker, sorry, or a, a tactical substitute. Tomic had to ride the last heat. And he's on like two or three points. Everyone's and 11. Oh, yes. And he takes Kasprak's bike. Yeah. Does a practice start. Looks back at the at the pit area. Just looks back and says, "I got this dialed in." <laughs> I mean, you got to be pretty confident going against Lee in Leshno on not your bike. Never tried the bike, but you're gonna win. And he wins the heat. And he wins against Australia by one point. I remember that. <laughs> that was crazy. Lee, on, on Lee was furious. I met Lee after that meeting. We were up on the grandstands having a few drinks. They said, listen, <laughs> you guys beat us. <laughs> well, at least get me, buy me some drinks. I said, sure, no problem, Lee. You got that one. <laughs> That's what you do, right? That's oh, it. Gosh. You, you got to cover your, 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 uh, your, uh, your friendship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's so many moments like that. Oh, that's true. That's true. And it was, it was just always been a good part, a good, good, uh, experience and a life experience to be able to take part in that, to be part in that. Of course there was ups and downs. That's a, that's a given. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> in general over the 25 year period, and I can, obviously the, the last very end part, uh, I think there's more ups and downs, sure. but, but, but in all fairness, uh, I think it takes two very different people to be able to work together because you have like it's like it's like physics you can't have two pluses and two minuses a plus and a minus work together and i think that's where i and Tomic and i uh were able to collaborate for so long for for uh for this for his career during his career how did you guys how did you guys hook up i mean obviously you you, you grew up in the states if we back up i grew up in the states and when i was here i came over to, to poland and i started working uh, i mean this is this was the early 90s so you remember uh, the foreigners were just coming in. I think Hans was the first foreigner to ride in Poland. Right. And uh, so these, these, the, the clubs were, were getting these foreigners. But back then, in all fairness, uh, lang- the language barrier was just, it was a big, big deal to get over the language barrier. And mm-hmm. uh, people who were running the show are usually older people who didn't know, who didn't speak English. I was here and I knew one of the, uh, the, one of the presidents was a, was a good friend of the family. Mm-hmm. And I came on over to stop uh, to help interpret and 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 cooperate with the foreigners. I was taking taking charge of the foreigners. And back then it was Andy Smith and Sam Marmalenko who, who were riding for Polonia. Right. So I started working with them. And Tomic was an up and coming rider. Uh, everyone knew he had the talent, the potential. But in all fairness, he was probably one of the. That's where I think we're also where a lot of the stick comes from. He was only because if you think about it, speedway is a, a sport that. Uh, it's generally a five-nation sport. It's the two Scandinavian countries, which is obviously Sweden and Denmark. Mm-hmm. And then you have the three English-speaking countries, which is Australia, America, and England. And every once in a while, you have, you'll have a German rider come in here, a Finnish rider here and there. But basically, it's always been those five nations uh, have always been there. Uh, even though it's really popular in Poland, uh, those five nations have been running the show, let's say, uh, with, with, with world titles, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Tomek was a young, up and young coming rider who was pushing his way, elbowing his way through. And uh, I think the stick came through also with where uh, he had maybe a different mentality. He was an Eastern European rider. Now it's a little different. We can all see that. Now we have Russians and Poles and, and there's even Czechs, et cetera, et cetera. But back then, there was no Eastern European riders. 
And uh, I think the language barrier, his mentality, I mean, uh, being raised during a communist era, uh, looking at the foreigners that, or, the cap, or the Western world a little differently. And I think that's where he got a lot of his stick from. And that's where I came in and tried to, to break the ice a little, get him more involved with, with people. And, and over time, I mean, I think at least uh, it was a success because uh, first and foremost, he got accepted. Then there was a friendship between different writers. And then there was the respect. And it obviously went both ways, the respect. Uh, Tomic had respect for his uh, rivals and his uh, opponents on the track. And then vice versa, I think the same thing. Hmm. You, you can probably you can say that as well, Greg. I mean, you, you, yeah. you first and foremost, you, you guys were. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying you guys were friends, but you guys had respect for each other, for your opponents, and etc. So, so, and um, and then later on with time, it was more of a the communication was there as much as could be expected. I mean, Tomic can never speak uh, uh, can never speak as well as English as well as we can, but but uh, sure. he can get his he can get his message over. Yeah, he can, and he can understand quite a bit too. So it was. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. What well, What is your background before that? Background before that, I mean, I was I was a really young kid, so I I came out of uh, basically junior college uh, when I when I came out and uh, just started working the sport. I uh, finished economics. Uh, my my dad's got a big big uh, uh, auto restoration uh, shop uh, back home, so I dabbled a little in that. Uh, now actually coming out of the speedway. Uh, a little now that's where i'm taking over a little of his business he's retired now uh but that, that that was basically my my background and then i just like i said i stayed in the sport for 25 years wow yeah. are we are we you're younger than me though right yes i am yes what i am you? I, 1972 you're 72 okay gotcha yep. i was thinking about that too about uh, looking at that we've we've gosh yeah we've come a long way you know oh we have we have we've Super. gone i think we've all gone through the ranks yeah and and, you, and you've also you you've been there as well you've seen the different changes not only in the sport but uh, everything to be to be involved i mean uh, poland you've seen the changes of poland i mean it's changed from a communist country he's gone through uh, abolishing the iron curtain through going through the ranks to be a eu country and there's just uh, there's so many changes and everything's more standardized back then it was sort of a wild, I'd call it a wild west. I mean, things right. you did things that you would never do in Sweden or in Germany or in England, things you could do in Poland. And then it's all melded out a little. <laughs> yeah. It was like that though too, huh? I mean, it was, it really was like that. I mean. I, I, I just have to ask, is your family from, the, from Poland from the beginning? Yes, yes, my, my, uh, that's a funny situation. My parents were born and raised in Poland, uh, but lived in America. I was born and raised in America, but have lived more of my life in Poland. <laughs> so there you go. That's a, that's a catch-22 for you right there. No kidding. Why did they come to, yeah. to America? Why they come? I think they came during the communist era. era. Uh, I mean, just for a better life, definitely. I mean, back oh. then, we all know what the lifestyle was here and, and what, the, what the regime was here. And then they were fortunate enough to be able to, to immigrate. Uh, that's another funny story. It's a, uh, they immigrated through my, my grandmother. Uh, who, whose brother uh, was on a ship. He, he, was a, he played in, the, in a band on the ship that was a, on a cruise ship that used to go between New York and Gdansk, back and forth. Wow. And, and in 1939, when they were coming into the, the Gdansk Harbor, this is August of 39, you could feel the tension that, I mean, there was going to be a world war, something breaking out. And the captain didn't come into the harbor. He stayed out into, in neutral war, waters 
and said to all the passengers, listen, I definitely feel there's, there's tension here. And I mean, there's going to be war coming out. Whoever wants to go to Poland, we're going to drop the rowboats. You're free to go back to Poland. I'm turning the cruise ship back and we're going to New York. And he was on the, in the band of the ship. Whoa. He went back to New York. And obviously that was like a two week trip. So by the time they turned around and got to New York, World War II had broken out already. So he gets to America, and now he's sort of in. in that, that's another catch twenty two. He couldn't he couldn't go back because there was no country to go back to because back then already by then Poland had been already taken over, so there was no Poland. Hmm. He showed a Polish passport, so he's showing a passport of a country that doesn't exist. He can't come in because he's not American. Wow! And he was sort of in no man's land, hmm. and uh, the Americans uh, and then. Uh, he, for two years, he started. He just he just did odd jobs uh, like shoveling coal and then just helping people out, whatever. whatever. Uh, and then when the, when America went into the war, uh, they 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 tried to get as many people like him to to join the the armed the armed services. He was smart enough to say, "Listen, I, I can join the armed services, but I need for you to give me citizenship." Hmm. The American government didn't want to give him citizenship. They just wanted to take him to straight to the to the uh, front line. Wow! So this was back and forth for a few weeks. After uh, the American government finally said, "Okay, listen, here's your citizenship, but you're going to be shipped out." Luckily, he survived the war. Came back. He was already an American citizen. Wow! Then invited his his sister, which is my grandmother, and she took her mother, uh, my uh, her daughter, which is my mom, and of course we couldn't leave all together. So it was. First, his sister. Then a few years later, my mom came over, and then I was born over there, and et cetera, et cetera. So, man, what a what a story! Yeah, that's it. That's it. So there's there's a little history for you of how <laughs> we got over to America. How many of them are still around today? My grandmother's still alive. Uh, she's uh, 94. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's but she's back in Poland. She she came back a few years ago. Really? Uh, my mom, yeah, yeah. My mom, uh, she just retired two years ago. She moved back to Poland as well. And my dad, he's retired, but he's living in Oregon, uh, part-time Oregon, part-time uh, Hawaii. But he's going to be staying over, I think, over there. He's he's got. Uh, I guess he just feels more comfortable back home in America for him. And then, sure. so so it's like but, that. You know what? For like for your grandmother and your mom to come back to Poland after so many years too. I mean, Poland, what it was when they left. Oh yeah, I mean. Oh completely. my gosh. I mean, completely different, different. Especially your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She left in the '60s, so I mean, here was the regime, and and it was the, the Cold War, and 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 the politics. Even I mean, the the government was telling you about oh the bad Americans, this and that, because they're the capitalists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah. uh, and vice versa, we had we had the the politics and the and the propaganda in America that the Russians are bad. But now, coming back to Speedway, who are yeah. Americans and Russians racing here and there, and <laughs> everything, everything's and we're buddies and everything's normal. So that's that's fifty years how things have changed in the world, in the speedway world, like everywhere. Yeah. Wow. You speak both languages. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. We can convert this Polish right away if you want, but I don't think this conversation is going to go too far. Then really fun. Talking to you, Thomas. We'll catch you later. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. I mean, uh, here you're talking about Poland, how it's changed. I, uh, I don't know. Everyone who's been in the speedway world knows uh, Nori Allen, who used to be Ivan's uh, mechanic, yeah. and then was Mark Loram's manager slash mechanic. And he was telling me stories when he'd come over in the 70s with Ivan for, for uh, races here. 
in only the qualifiers or world championships. Nowadays, you have stickers on your van and you got your sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. He'd try to come in with a van with stickers on, stop at the hotel, and they wouldn't steal the van. They wouldn't steal anything, but they'd steal the stickers. He'd come back in the morning and the stickers would rip, would be ripped off the van because <clears throat> back then everything was so dull and gray and black and the stickers were colorful. You get a Castrol sticker or an NGK sticker, whatever. <laughs> and it was just, that was the thing for, for, for Polish people back then. So. Yes. Uh, which which was understandable. We're talking about the seventies here, so I remember like Bobby Schwartz and some of those guys telling me too that they, you know, the same deal. They would travel over there back in the day and they'd be like asleep in the car during the day or during the night, getting uh -huh. some rest, and they could hear like something scratching on the side of the car. And that was the the young kids were trying to peel the stickers off the side of the van while they were asleep at night. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so they didn't want to get too much in trouble. They didn't want to steal the, the equipment or anything like that, obviously, but just a sticker. I mean, that was sticker. <laughs> It's, oh gosh, yeah. The, and the, the things they used to trade, I remember he's, he said he used to come over and bring stickers or some goggles or, you know, a, a t-shirt or a pair of shoes or something. And they would, they would trade the guys in the workshops there in Poland for, for parts for the bikes. Sure. You know, engines and frames. Exactly. Because Jawa was a, a Czech, back then it was Czechoslovakia, the Czechoslovakian company. And uh, because Czechoslovakia was in the iron, uh, behind the iron gate as well. Iron Curtain, sorry. Uh, it was easier for us to get the, the, the equipment and obviously for a much cheaper price. And then it was just so much easier for the foreigners to trade normal goods, which we didn't have here, for equipment, like you said. Yeah, right. That and crystal and really nice things like that. There was always some rad stuff you could get. Exactly, exactly. So you got five stickers and, and a dollar and then I get an engine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not that low, but 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 basically that that's the general idea, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You throw in a T-shirt and you got a deal. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's it, that's it. And now, now look at it. Now everything's changed. Oh man, where no one wants to race in the West, or maybe they don't want to race. But it's the money. We're talking about Speedway, of course. Now, yeah. again, the the money in England, let's say, is nothing compared to what it is in Poland. Everything's gone completely 180 degrees. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, it completely swapped over. I mean, England was the only place to be. Yeah. Especially when I first came over too, and, and even exactly. long before that. And then, okay. then, like you said, the door started to open in, mm -hmm. in Poland and some of the Eastern countries. And Hans Nielsen, I remember, he was one of the first. He was the first one, 91, I think, was in Lublin. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, to think about it back in the yeah. day, you know, and yeah. to just to go into the league. And mm -hmm. at that point, like, he was so much for more superior than all the riders in the league because first of all he had all the equipment that they couldn't get because mm -hmm. then we had all the best of the best and you know not to take away from he wasn't a bad rider either right <laughs> so <laughs> no, he, was, he was he was the man he's an awesome rider and uh but definitely i mean he, he was like i said he's an awesome rider and he had the kids so he just smoked i remember the first point he lost because he came over the first time he was maximum 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 15 points across the board all the time 18 if you wrote a, a, a tactical and the first point he lost was against uh, uh, scooping Egon scooping from Ribnik. okay and unbelievable this was in the news and the TV oh my <laughs> god Hans Nielsen has dropped a point oh <laughs> no way literally, literally it was like that yeah mm -hmm. and Andre became the hero yeah, the yeah Egon was, hero. I mean, oh yeah I mean he was he was the future world champion he, he's, <laughs> he's he's done it He's, he's he's won against Hans, and this is one of those things that 
he got pushed out or he just he just dumped the the the, the, the clutch that much faster than Hans, which is almost impossible, but I guess he did it or whatever it was. But he, he won against him, fair play to him. The stars and, lined up. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was a rock star for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he should be rolling with that. I mean, we're still talking about him today. That's it, exactly, exactly. There you go, there you go. so cool, it's so cool. That's I remember it. my, the first year I came to Poland was, that was 92. I came to England in 1989, mm -hmm. and then in that year I also uh, made my first trip to Sweden, and I did the Czech Republic, I did the Golden Helmet in 89. Okay. So that was right at the, the basically the beginning of everything being, coming exactly. out of the old uh, communist era there. Sure. And mm -hmm. I was just, I was so excited. I mean, I was 18 years old or 19 at that yeah. point, but sure. going to these countries and like seeing They're, the UN trucks cruising around uh, everywhere, uh, uh, soldiers still, some soldiers on the streets with, you know, uh, all the, the machinery, the you know, machine guns and stuff yeah. like that. Just, and I was just like, whoa, whoa the young california boy just going like i thought england was crazy and then i went to, to checo and i just went no way, no way. we're not in kansas anymore huh yeah that's right <laughs> it was what, a, what an eye-opener so it's kind of cool for uh, when i started riding there in 92 it was already pretty much coming out of it uh -huh. fairly well but it was still in a completely different state if you compare it to today you know? yeah oh yeah oh yeah things have changed so much i remember uh, like I said, I was then then in charge of foreigners or foreign riders in in for Polonia, mm -hmm. and we did an we had an exchange program where some of the Polish youth would go to Australia and they went there in the winter, and then vice versa in the springtime we got some of the Australians over, and I remember I would took a, I took a van, rented a van, picked them up in Warsaw, and uh, we're driving in, and I'm I'm driving, we're talking, and I can see these young Australian kids they're looking left and right, and they're they're all surprised that. I don't know paved roads and because I, I and one of the funny thing is is today uh, one of the riders we're really good friends and uh, he, he's been around the sport he's he, he stayed over in England and rode for many years and he's actually the team manager of Australia now which is Mark Lemon and he was one of the the sixteen year old kids who came over back then and we were talking he's like he was expecting a horse drawn carriage and no electricity <laughs> no running water and he's like wait we got hotels we got water we got everything here wow <laughs> they got lights that's it that's it and and it's like that i guess it's it's like i said that's more of the propaganda aspect of it yeah. the, the the west was told that uh, the east is is uh, i don't know 150 years behind everyone and it's bad and this and that yeah. and uh, when they when they finally came over uh when they finally came over, they saw for their, for themselves that it's not like that. I mean, it's just a different country, different maybe, uh, but every country is different. You go to Sweden, you have different mentality. You go to you go to Denmark, different mentality, right? Mm -hmm. And you just right. cross the border, and there's the, the two neighboring countries, for example, and uh, they all differ. So, but that that was a funny story as well. So that that that, that was uh, I always once in a while when we talk about I see with Mark, I see each other with Mark here and there. Uh, we always remember that time when he was in that van as a 16-year-old kid just looking for a horse-drawn carriage. <laughs> and to be honest, with every once in a while, you'll still see that guy with a horse and carriage just cruising on the street anyway. Just yeah, some yeah. Old but in all fairness, it's yeah. very rare now. Oh, it's very it used, rare. Yeah, it used yeah, to be yeah, more yeah. you could see a guy here. Huh? Sure, sure. But now it's really hard to see a horse now. Probably maybe it's the upkeep of a horse is more expensive than, than buying, I don't know, a van or a tractor or whatever. And he's probably got to register his, his carriage now, too. With the, that's, with it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. With the DMV. <laughs> but then I 
think like growing up for me too in, in school and learning all about history and all that kind of stuff that you remember, you had this vision of, of Eastern Europe as, as black and white, you know, mm -hmm. just because of the, mm -hmm. the period. So it was, when I first went there, I was looking for everything to be in black and white, you know, in a sense, like not, not really getting the picture of like, wow, it isn't, it is kind of cool. They got green trees and they got blue lakes and, exactly. and sea and then there's food with color and there's like, it's like, it's just something that's in your, in your head from the movie sure. you watched and everything. Exactly. 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 The Polish people were, I went to Lesno, obviously my first years mm -hmm. there and yeah. and stayed a lot uh, with Andre Bortel, you know, Andre from, from uh, the club. I don't remember him. No, no. Uh -uh. He's kind of a translator too. And, okay. Uh, he took care of everything, but he was a guy, he had like five or six kids and he opened the door to us when we went there. He lived on the street there as you drove up to the stadium. Uh -huh, okay. Uh, he would come in there. I remember going, he invited me for, for lunch one day and I walked in and his whole family was basically standing along the side of the table, almost like in a, uh, in a military fashion, like welcome me to walk in. And they had my plate sitting there to sit down and eat. And it was like, I almost sat there and ate alone. Like there wasn't, anything more and i felt suddenly felt like what isn't everybody else gonna kind of sit down and enjoy but it was like this was like for them it was a real honor so they just wanted to feed me and entertain mm -hmm. it's almost like they were giving me the food that they had left the, the feeling was like that they gave me what sure. they had they didn't have a lot you know there wasn't a lot of money in the house and uh -huh, uh -huh. he spent years working in the uk and all around as a you know doing odd jobs and sure. sending money home to for the wife and the kids to survive so they could live a little bit better life mm -hmm. uh, from it. And, and that was the first time I realized like, wow, these are good people, you know, what they will, they'll give you the shirt off their back basically just because you are this person that you are They're They're amazing. And, and uh, so hospitable, you know, mm -mm. there's even a saying in Polish that's translated exactly translated. If there's a guest in the house, it's God and God is in the house. Really? Oh. So, yeah. 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 So, which is, like I said, a guest in the house is God in the house. Oh, I've never heard that wow. before. Yeah, yeah. So ask, ask Rafa that one. I will. I will ask that. He'll that's tell you that. Well, that. That's an old Polish saying, and it's like that. Every time a guest comes over, everyone turns their life on pause, and let's have a sit down, let's have some good food, and just talk, and, and just enjoy. That's pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not not like in California, you come to our place, you're just another dude. Hey, what's up? <laughs> that's it. That's it. You you talk in the you talk in the door in the door in the in the in the door. You don't even someone's let him in. Yeah, that's you it. Yeah, come yeah. in? Well, yeah, yeah. I like him, sure, why not? Did God just come in the house? No, it's just some dude from down the street. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of my buddies. <laughs> hey, that's pretty yeah. that's pretty rad. You're, um... Yeah, yeah, but like I said, going back, back, going back to the changes in Poland, where we were fortunate enough, where I was fortunate enough to be part of that as well, is with Speedway back in the time, uh, the riders, you, you, you signed, a, you were a club rider, and every time you did anything with the club, you had, you were assigned a club mechanic, a club car, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et and Tomek and Jacek, because his brother Jacek was also a rider, uh, we were the first. Polish uh, Polish riders to have your own van mm -hmm. in the day. You think about it. Yeah. Things that things that kids take for granted now. You don't. I mean, everyone. You start. You, you start riding. You buy a van. You buy your own kit. You're an independent rider. Mm -hmm. You sign a deal. You get your money. Whatever. But you do what you, what you want to do when you want to do it. Uh, Tommy was was the first one to have his own van. So he was he wasn't uh, uh, dependent 
on, on the club that the club would say, okay, we'll give you a van or we'll drive you here. No, no, we drove when we wanted to drive, which mm-hmm. is something really weird. Uh, Tom his first qualifications as a junior, he went to, uh, to Finland, temporary. So it was one rider and like five officials from the PZM watching him over in eight. This was still before communism fell. So I remember those times as well. I mean, yeah. unbelievable times, unbelievable times. It really is. And I, I remember yeah. uh, also coming to Big Gosh too, one of the first times I went there. And you, I mean, still today, you have the big mural there on the side of the wall of Thomas yeah. sitting on the bike, which is uh-huh. like, it's like iconic, you know, it's, a, it's yeah, on the yeah. side of a wall as you drive into the, into the pit area. It's huge. And it's a picture of Thomas from back in the day with his black suit and it's got yeah, the yeah. big gush race jacket on and he's got the helmet. He's got an old Jawa mm-hmm. and you're looking at it just going like, I remember that guy was riding this equipment that was so much older. And, you know, when we came in there with our new GMs and all our stuff, he looked at it and he thought the only chance I got to beat this guy really was because I had a better, I had better equipment underneath me, but you got to be good because that guy could just ride anything. That's and it. He was special, you know? Now, he is special, and that's he, it, that's it. he can uh, he can do crazy stuff. And of course, Samar Malenko told me a lot of stories about you should watch this guy. He's gonna be he's gonna be the bomb. You know, he's gonna be the shit. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. He, yeah, yeah. He did say he did say that. I remember that as well. Uh, yeah. Always I, about I remember another writer that because we're going from writer to writer, so we'll give us some some more information. Mm-hmm. The first year that uh, a writer you've probably heard of him. I don't know. You might have not heard of him. Tony Rickardson. <laughs> uh, <That's> <laughs> who? Tony who? Yeah. <laughs> he signed his first contract for Polonia in 91. Really? So, yep. Oh, and he I came over in the springtime to, to do some testing and start, start racing and stuff like that. And uh, Tony always had immaculate equipment. We, we got to be honest here. He, had, he was always head and shoulders above everyone, even at, at, his, at his young age. And he, he brought in he brought in his bikes and they're immaculate and everything's looking really well. And he was back then, if I'm not mistaken, he was world number two because he was second behind. Uh, Hands, right? Was it? Well, no, no, 91. Was it Yano? Oh. Yeah, he was he, he was second behind Yano. Yano oh, was on yeah. maximum. Yeah, he Gothenburg, was. That's it. So he's world number two. He's got this immaculate equipment. He signed his first deal for Pol- in, in Poland, which is Polonia Bedgos. And he started racing here and he gets beat by some guy. And the guy's got a, a pink front mudguard, a purple <laughs> rear mudguard. Uh, the clutch is literally on, 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 like on, 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 on plastic ties or whatever. And I remember Tony comes in, takes his helmet off, and comes in, looks at the bike. And he says, I can't believe it. I just got beat on a, by a guy on this bike. <laughs> and that, that was Tomic. So. <laughs> and that was him. That's it. And, of course, they, they, had the, they had their rivalries in the 90s as well. Yeah, they they went head to head. That's it. That's it. Tony was like I said. I was uh, always head and shoulders above. I guess everyone, and uh, it was it was pretty pretty special to be able to even keep up with him. Uh, very rarely could you beat him, but keep up with him. And if you see him, if you think about the the late nineties, uh, it was Tomek that was, in all fairness, pushing him. I think the most. And then in in the early two thousands, it was Crumpy doing that. Right. Pushing Tony, it was always behind him though, and so was Tomek, uh, and it was always always that that missing link, that missing link, so where funny. I guess where I guess Tony could always put it together into one big puzzle. Uh, you know, you know what it's like to win a world title. So it's it's a lot of ass, it's a lot of things. You got to put them all together in one piece at one moment. Yeah, sure. And, and then the missing piece is always that that piece that we have no nothing to do with, which is luck. 
-hmm. you can put the logistics, you can put your training, you can put the kid, you can, you can do everything. You got to feel good. You got to be race fit, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the aspect of luck. And then I guess, uh, you got to have all those together to, to win a world title. We had that fortunate, we were fortunate enough to, to do it in 2010. Mm-hmm. And just Tony had it was that for much more fortunate that he did it six times. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. it. I'm wondering yeah. if the um, the the purple and and pink mud guards and all that stuff was were the things that uh, instigated Tony's period of purple and pink there for a while. I remember he. Had his... <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you never know though. I got to ask him one day. Bit me. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You never know, but I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But but I remember that pur- he was a purple. Uh, he had his, he had the first nylons, I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can see it like yesterday, and that was like, I, me too. Me too. On the Jawa, and he had his Oakley glasses, the, the yeah. fluorescent yellow Oakley glasses. He was just way out there, and and the first uh, the first mobile home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. That's it. I can see him in Tarn when he pulls up in Tarn. If he's just mind boggling. And yeah. anyone knows Tarnoff, Tarnoff's a little off off the beaten path. It's it's a little south southeastern uh, situated, and I can just see him in '94 showing up there in a mobile home with purple nylons and his fluorescent Oakley glasses, goggles. Unbelievable. You talk about bringing some color into that town. That, huh? That's it. That's yeah, it. Especially at that period. I mean, it's yeah. still that little that little small town. There's when you drive through Tarnoff, it's like. You have Azalti, you have Tauran, which is not far away, you know, of course, but, and then there's, and then there was Tony. That, that, exactly, exactly. That's it. That's Tony's it. in town. That's cool. That's oh, it. It was, oh, those are some good times. Someday we'll have to, well, it'd be fun to ask Tony some of these questions too, you know, we'll grab him. Oh, sure, sure. Definitely, definitely. Oh my gosh. It'd be so fun to hear the, the, the story from everybody's, you know, everybody, the horse's mouth, as you say, but. So there's so many cool things that have happened. I mean, this, and for me, this, these eras are like, the, I remember those periods better than I do the, the more recent years. That's probably my age, you know. You're <laughs> <laughs> getting senile, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something there. I mean, the early days I can remember really good, but it's more the last few years. It becomes so more repetitious all the time. So you don't, it feels like you're just, it's another day, another race. You're going like that. Mm-hmm. Every race back then when you're like learning the ways, it was just, it was, yeah, you were installing the software, you know? So it was like all that stuff was coming in all the time and, and exactly. now you're updating here and there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'll give another funny story. Uh, like I said, I was responsible for the foreigners. This was 90, I think 94. Sam is still riding for, 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 for Polonia. He's flying in from England. And uh, it was always via Copenhagen back then because he had to do SA, as we do the England-Copenhagen. And then it's Copenhagen, I think it was two dines. And the flight is called off in Copenhagen for some reason, either a strike, whatever it is. I can't remember. Uh, and he calls us from the airport and we're racing in Tarnoff. We're already in Tarnoff back then. Uh, no, sorry. We weren't, we weren't in Tarnoff. We were racing in Tarnoff. We weren't there. We we're going to drive. Uh, he was supposed to fly into Warsaw. He can't get in. So what we do, we're talking about the Wild West, things that are just unimaginable today. We got to get a plane, organize a plane, but it's 94 people don't have private planes there's no chance to rent anything like that they call up the hospital get a medical plane <laughs> i go up i go up in the plane fly into the main airport of the capital city of Poland, warsaw fly and land on the main strip of the air of the airstrip oh he flies into warsaw a little later because he got a later flight get him on the plane because there's no way he can uh 
we can uh, drive from Warsaw, well, we won't make it in time, and we fly into Tarnow. On, in, on the plane, he's already getting changed into his, his, his leather, his leathers, I think it was Kevlar's back then. Okay, but let's say Kevlar's in his race suit and get, someone picks us up, we drive up to Tarnow and we're at the gate. He's in, he's in his race suit, all suited up with his helmet in his hand. And this is like, the, I think he two, or, two is already gone or something like that. And we're saying, open the gate, open the gate. And they said, well, how do we know this? This is Sam, he's, we're racing. How do we know he's Sam? Well, duh, he's in his race suit. Everyone, he's world number, he was a world champion from last year. He, he's in a race suit. He got, they're <laughs> playing with us. Obviously, they're playing the time game to, to extend the time so he wouldn't go out in his first seat. Oh. Luckily, they open the gate. He runs into the pits, literally gets on his bike, does his five races, and I think we won in turn, actually. <laughs> he, he scored like 12 or 13 points. So, Oh, my gosh. That's it. That's, that's that, cool. Yeah, the, you know, those, those Wild West stories, they did, they did exist, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I had a similar one, not to, to steal the show, but <laughs> they had a similar one where I rode for Kinesno one year, too, and they it was one of the early meetings of the year in April or uh -huh. something, and uh, I was racing against uh, the team that Craig Boyce was riding for at that point, which I can't remember. I think it was Gorzhov. Was it Gorzhov? Okay. I think. And I flew in to Warsaw and then should get the connection. Uh, I think, and the connection was canceled because it was snowing. It was like okay. rain and snow. So they hired a helicopter, one of their little helicopters off the side. And, and uh, this is like 94 too. I think it was the same uh -huh. year. And I, okay. I came out and I, I ran out. No, it was 90, 94, 95 maybe. Yeah, I think or you 95. wrote 96, 97. Or 96, it could have been even. Would you write for Nez 96? But anyways. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because maybe I had a year off when in between. 95, you were off. Yeah, that's right. Because because Lesno got relegated. That's right. That's, we're talking about oh, that. Yeah, good memory, man. Um, and then they put me on this helicopter. I remember, God, and this thing was so old, and I'm looking at it, going like, no way. <laughs> I mean, it looked. It was off to the side. I remember seeing these things in the past. It was like they're all covered up, and suddenly they're going to uh -huh. cover this thing and fire it up, and we're going to fly to Gniezno. Uh -huh. Got in there, and I'm like, I'm crapping my pants, you know, like this is uh -huh. no way this is going to happen. It's snowing in the air, and. We get in, I put all this harnesses on and the earphones and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and the guy takes off and as he starts flying, he pulls out a roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it was because of uh, maybe they didn't have the technology to talk to the ATC the same way and all that. Uh -huh. The guy followed the roadmap all the way to Gnezno. Uh -huh. Above the trees, he just stayed above the trees and followed the roads. Oh shit! Unbelievable. <laughs> and we pulled in there, and then they they circled around the track two or three times, landed me in the center green, and I walked out like a rock star. And then the race was canceled. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> I just I never ever ever forget that. It was so funny. I mean, I'm looking at these guys going, "They're following the roadmap. No way!" <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cool. But that's how you did it. You know, yeah. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the weather or whatever. They couldn't get the, the same signal, so it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but like I said, those are those are times that uh, you can't experience now. Now it's too, too many rules and regulations. EU this, EU that. They won't let you up in the air if, if you don't have the specifications and whatever. So it's back then it was the the right person get called the right guy. It's yeah. a phone call away type thing. Yeah, anything could happen, right? Anything could happen. It was like I don't know, like uh, the 1920s in America, the yeah. prohibition <laughs> area. Just the right guy calls the right guy. It's it's got to be done. Yeah, even getting stopped by the police for speeding down the, down oh, the, yeah. the side of the road, you know, it was like, oh, yeah. In the end, you, you weren't speeding at all. Everything was fine. That's it. That's <laughs> it.
everything just here. worked out. Oh, you're a Speedway guy or That's a, you, you're, here, I'll give you that. Here, here, here's another one. Here's another good one. Yeah. Go <laughs> you're talking about the speeding. Yeah. We're, we're in Sweden. And of course, Sweden is a country, Stefan, you can confirm this, is a very uh, law-abiding country and everything's done by the book, which is fantastic. I'm not, I'm not negotiating that or anything like that. We're driving. <laughs> we're driving. And, and this was the year that Michael Turnberg, you know Michael really well, I think, as well, from House Turnberg, Street. Yeah. yeah. He was managing Vesterbik. He picks us up from the airport and we're driving to a, to a league meeting. I don't know. I think it's Vetland or wherever. We're driving. He's going a little faster than, than, uh, than can, uh, can be, than you can drive. And the police Michael stopped. Messing, huh? Sorry, Michael Messing. That was sorry, uh, Messing. You're right. Yeah, Messing. yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, good. Okay, sorry, sorry, Michael Messing. That's it. And we're driving. You get we get pulled over, and he's freaking out. He's oh, jeez, oh, we're screwed now. Oh, I just lost my license. I'm lit, and I'm sitting in the back seat. Thomas is in front. I'm saying, listen, Michael, take it easy. Just <laughs> tell him you're the manager of Vestbrook, an elite league club. You got Thomas Gall right here. You're going to the league meeting. No, 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 Tomic. This doesn't work. This is Sweden. I can't. Oh shit! A cop like this. This that does. This doesn't. This doesn't fly in Sweden. I said, trust me. Just tell them what I'm telling you. Speedway, Vesterbeek, Elite League, come and go up. It'll work. The cop comes over. He rolls down the window. Yeah, yeah. They start talking. He says, Yeah, Vesterbeek, Michael Messing, la la la. And I'm just getting the words like Thomas Gollop, we're racing Elite League. And the cop says, Okay, just please slow down and please continue driving. <laughs> we take off and michael looks at me and says i can't believe it this is unbelievable. this stuff doesn't happen in sweden i said listen trust me it happens everywhere you just got to know what to say to the right person yeah he you couldn't believe with, it you start with the truth right yeah it was the truth i mean it was tomic and we were rising we we're riding for an elite league club vastervik and we we're going to that land that's the truth and it, and it works and the truth, that's the it doesn't hurt that's it that's it exactly exactly it's all, it's just how high, all how you put it. <laughs> it. That's exactly how it is. Exactly how it is. So that, so that was another one we uh so I guess Speedway was being involved in Speedway for so long. That was that was the perks of, of the sport is sometimes you could get away with some things, but also look at I mean, you you yourself is a, are a perfect example. How much stuff we've seen. If you were a regular uh Joe, I don't know, Joe Black or whatever back home. You'd have your nine to five job. You wouldn't even see half the countries or half the places we've been to. Yeah. Look at the sport, how far it's gotten us all over. It gets us to America, to Australia. We've been to New Zealand. When would you have gone to New Zealand? Well, maybe yeah. you would have gone, but, but I mean, in all fairness, most of us wouldn't have gone. Mm -hmm. You see so many interesting, beautiful countries, meet so many interesting people. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice. And that's why in another aspect after my, my, uh, Speedway wise, of course, uh, our cooperation with Totomics is finished. That's why now I'm at the stage where I now want to give back to the sport in some way or form. Mm. Because the speed, the, the sport has given me so much. Now I want, I want to turn it around and give the sport back to me as well. What, you, what kind of ideas have you got, or what are you working on? You know what? I just, uh, I, I'm not working with any ideas per se. I have a few ideas in my head here and there, uh, but I just feel that. Uh, I wouldn't want to waste the the knowledge. Not I'm, I'm not trying to be a smart smart ass or anything like that. But the knowledge yeah. I've I've attained for 25 years, I wouldn't want it to be wasted, and have young kids who are coming up through the ranks go through all the stepping stones and open all the wrong doors, etc. etc. Cetera, et cetera, that we had to open, or you had to open, all of us had to open, 
because uh, I have the experience. I know which door is open, which, I, which door is not to open, which way to step, which way not to step to maybe accelerate someone's career. Mm -hmm. and, and why why should he have to go make some mistakes when these mistakes can be uh you can be rerouted a little take a little detour because i know which detour to take we all know because all yeah. i'm talking about people who have who have the experience who've been there we've been around the block a few times mm -hmm. so and we all know it like everywhere in the world there's there's dodgy people yeah. dodgy contracts you want to get around and uh, sometimes when I see these young kids signing these dodgy contracts, it's, Jesus, don't do that because this and this. And, yeah, it's true though. You wanna, you wanna try to help them to avoid all that. Sure. I, I'm with exactly. you there, I'm the same in, in many ways like that too. You do whatever exactly. you wanna do to try to help the guys just to maybe eliminate some of those speed bumps and those, those left and right corners that you could probably go this way and be a lot better off. Exactly, exactly, because we, we've been there. We've done that and in all fairness, Times have changed. We're talking about Poland and Europe and, and, and everything, but but in Speedway, like in life in general, yeah. some things haven't changed. I mean, it's it's Speedway. We're talking about Speedway, but every I think uh, every occupation has uh, obstacles that the elders know how to to walk around and 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 omit. Well, uh, well, junior, uh, well, younger kids will just go straight through them and hit like a, a hit their head against a brick wall. Mm. Is so cool. How, how how is it like to be a manager? Well, it's got some ups and downs, I guess. <laughs> that that's a given. Uh, I know what it's like to be a manager for Tomek. Uh, we're talking about the good aspects of him and, and how fantastic a rider and a person he is and stuff like that. But also, uh, I guess people. I guess we could say in a, in a Polish form, he, in, at least in Poland. A superstar person. I mean, he's he's won the sports personality award a few times, and 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 uh, people like that are very sometimes very difficult to work with. Uh, sometimes easier. It's 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 uh, but it's an experience. It's a learning experience. Uh, with time, uh, we had our team dialed in so well that people were even laughing in the Grand Prix. We had the quietest team in the Grand Prix because. Uh, Greg knows uh, Thomas's uh, mechanic uh, Manu Bugsy. Uh, he very rarely speaks. Uh, <laughs> he's a very quiet person. I do a lot of speaking, but after 25 years, you learn the rider's mood, personality so well that in the pits, I knew when to come up to Tomek, calm him down. I knew when to step away to give him some room, and we had, we could do all of that without even talking. We were it was all eye contact. It was literally eye contact, which uh, which got us around the pit sometimes, in in, in situations that were either hectic or, or, or nerve wracking. Or uh, I, I even I remember Greg. We had a situation. We had a little not maybe a little. I'd call it a little fallout between you and Tomek. This was the Grand Prix in Bidgush, and in all fairness, in all fairness, there was two meetings always for Tomek that were the worst during the whole season. You you do plus minus hundred meetings or whatever during a season and there's two always that are the worst for Tomek it's the final of the Polish national championship and it's the Grand Prix in Poland in Bydgoszcz and that's because both of them there is no second place for him it was those meetings you had to win you can win in Kursko you could win in I don't know Cardiff you don't have to win there but in Bydgoszcz you have to win and the, the nationals you have to win it and those were always the two most nerve-wracking meetings. And one one year we were placed next to each other in the pits, 
and uh, I remember Tomek went off a little at, at Greg, and uh, it, it, it wasn't Greg's fault. Greg did nothing. Just just Thomas was. I mean, he had a short fuse on that day, uh, <laughs> and I remember you. <laughs> You said a few words, which is a little uncensored, but we won't go into that. But there you, but there you go. You, you remember those times. And, and yeah. uh, we had a lot of those times. And, and you asked me how, how it is to be a manager. Being a manager in a situation like that is not comforting because I know that tomorrow we're going to be friends again, especially Speedway is a very funny sport, is that yeah. today we're racing against each other. Tomorrow we're teammates. And not only are we teammates, we're in the same heat together. and We're watching each other. And sometimes Tommy got a short fuse. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, it's a short fuse today, but tomorrow we're with Greg again. We're going to race or with whoever it is. So it's a balance. It's a very delicate balancing act. Yeah. Wow. And there yeah. aren't, uh, I don't know if there is another sport in the world that has, has this kind of a scenario, you know, where you're even not just a world championship one day and a league race the next day, but then the next day again, two days later, you have another league race in a different country, a different league. And you were where you were partners two days before. Now you're against each other again. Exactly. And you like you like you know each other so well, mm -hmm. yet you go to the starting line thinking I know what he's going to do, but actually no, I'm not really sure if he's going to do that because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is he playing me the same way that you know That's we it. played two days ago? Or That's it. So and then there's and then there's if you're a teammate together, mm -hmm. you're giving each other hints. Okay, this track is like this. Okay, I'd do this or I'd hear yeah. this or and. Two days later, you're saying you're rivals again, and then do I listen to what he said two days ago, or was he playing? Like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky, tricky game. Uh, but like I said, we know each other so, so well, all of us. So one big Speedway family, uh, because uh, uh, we see each other day in, day out. You're in. I mean, like you said, if if someone takes all the leagues, your 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 Saturdays, Friday you're practicing for the Grand Prix, so we're together. Saturday's the Grand Prix, Sunday you're in Poland, Monday you're in England, Tuesday's Sweden, Wednesday is, is Denmark, Thursday is either a qualification or you've got your day off, and then Friday you're back on the qualification for the Grand Prix again or whatever, oh, week in, week out. So we see each other constantly. And I remember even with, with uh, like, in, in the day, you still, Wil maybe Wilbur was around, but uh, Lee, for example, had his two kids, Crumpy, uh, Tony had his two daughters, we could, I mean, we saw these, these kids growing up even yeah. at Grand Prix. I mean, I saw, I saw Declan and Mia and Sarah, they're all growing up and we played football in, in, in the paddock area where the vans are or whatever. Just yeah. one big family. Lee would be grilling because he always did his barbecuing and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's it. So, so yeah, that's it. Him and then having Carl around, whether he was with you guys or Tony or Lee, and you that's know, it. Always, that's it. Always the master chef, you know. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I always wanted to keep it as friendly as possible. Uh, but with time, we all accept each other. We are all friends. I'll give another example of of how well the friendship worked. Uh, we're racing in Sweden on Tuesday. Wednesday is uh, the ferries taking off to to uh, Riga because we're racing on Saturday in Dalgapils. So logistically, the easiest way for us was to take the ferry on Wednesday, travel over to Riga. It was a 30-whatever-hour ferry, but it's better than driving through back through Poland in this, this way, yeah. southern way. So, and most of all the teams are on there. Lee and, and uh, 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 Lee Richardson was there. Uh, a bunch of riders. All the, all, most of the teams were there. 
and we're coming onto the ferry. As soon as we get on the ferry, our fuel pump breaks, just snaps. Fuel's leaking out. The guy on the ferry is yelling at us. As soon as you shut off the, the, the car, the van, the fuel isn't leaking. So we shut off the car, but we know we're on a 36-hour 36, 36 trip. We're going to Riga. And this is 2000, I don't know, two or something like that. We don't know what to expect. I think this is our first trip to Riga. We don't know what to expect in Latvia. And uh, we don't know who to call and this and that. So we're on the ferry and we're sitting, we're eating, we're all together. This is all fun and games. And I'll show you a, a moment of friendship is tomorrow there'll be rivalries because we show up on Thursday, Friday, whatever. Saturday, they'll all be racing against each other. They're all rivals. But on that Thursday, we all pitched in. Lee took a bike. Lee Richardson took our, the bike kit. Someone else took the, the, uh, 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 the toolbox. And they all pitched in. We left. We, we, we took our uh, – Lee had the biggest van. He had the mobile home. He, he towed us to the, to the uh, Mercedes-Benz dealership, left our car there, and they all drove us to Dalgopils. And they all pitched in just to help Tommy. Wow. So, and his team. So it's a, it's, a, it's a rivalry, but also it's a camaraderie. Yeah. And, and uh, we, always, we would always help each other in many aspects. Uh, vice versa, another aspect where Tomek helped someone else. Henke had a crash. We were in racing in Jeshuf. This was, I think, 96 or 97. And on the way back, we had two on the trot. And uh, so it's, we were racing on the Saturday and on the Sunday because it was rain off meetings. So Sunday, Saturday, we're in Jeshuf. We're driving back to, to uh, Bidgosh. And in Wuch, uh, Henke's uh, friend, which is a mechanic, had the accident, crashes the van. We're driving up. We, of course, completely pack our van with Henke's equipment. Yatsik pulled up in his van, packs everything up, and we tow Henke's van. Here's another Wild West story today. We, will, uh, we, pull, we towed him to the dealership in Bidgosh, and uh, if you remember, Tomek was sponsored by that uh, dealership. It was Gonshorek. He had it on his, on his arms for many, many years. We pull up to the dealership. We're telling Henka that uh, tomorrow your car will be ready. He says, no, 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 no. In Sweden, we got to order parts. It takes two weeks before the parts come in from Germany. By the time, in, in, in Sweden, it takes two to three weeks. I said, listen, tomorrow the car, by the time the meeting finishes, you'll, have, you'll be leaving in your own van. He says, no, no, that's impossible. He went to sleep, woke up in the morning. We did the meeting. And at, actually, at the end, very end of the meeting, Henka's van pulls up into the pits <laughs> so he can pack up and go back home. He says, how did that happen? I said, listen, this is the Wild West. What they actually did is they took the parts off a brand new van, oh, no way. Oh. put them on his car, ordered new parts, <laughs> For, for new van and when they came in a week or whatever they put it on the car and it was it was all right but Henke's <laughs> car had to leave we, so. yeah, we 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 fixed the, the fixed it for the moment it's ready to go that's it but it had all brand new parts and it was it was it was a done deal so Henka 24 hours later had a, his van up and running and he went home in his own van which you couldn't believe you have you had, yeah i can totally i can totally believe it too because i mean i've had so many situations in poland like that too where you yeah, the odds are against you man but you never underestimate you guys do know how to fix things and make them happen quick yeah, and there's a few it, phone that. calls and suddenly you've got people showing up everywhere and then ah, no problem we fix it no problem <laughs> that's it that's it exactly exactly, exactly. I, I like it too when everybody gets talking and of course they don't understand what they're saying but everyone gets going it feels like it almost feels like a heated situation when you guys uh -huh. In a Polish fashion, and you're like, "Hey, is everything okay?" Yeah, what? <laughs> you're like, "Right, just checking." Didn't, didn't, just put back in. Right. No, no, everything's cool. It'll be all right. That's it. When, 
uh, I have a lot of uh, friends who are from here in America or wherever, and they don't speak Polish. And when they hear Polish, is that you guys don't have any breaks between words. It's all one word. Yeah, yeah. It's like Hungarian. But that, like, for that, for me, for example, it's, it's Finnish and Hungarian are like that as well. I can't understand a single word of no. those two languages. No, that's right. Yeah. That's it. I don't know, Stefan, you, you, I don't know, can you understand Finnish? No, not at all. No, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. It can't be that hard, though, because I've seen little kids speak it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. That's, that's, that's like an old dad joke. That's what uh, my wife's dad always says. It can't be that difficult. I've seen little kids speaking it. It's <laughs> a good one. But you've learned Swedish, right, over the years? Yeah, I've, I've picked up quite a bit, you know. Um, okay. Are you fluent, though? Are you fl fluent in Swedish? I wouldn't say full fluent, but I can do, I can do pretty good. Okay. You know? But it is it speaking and reading as well? Yeah, I can read quite a bit too. There's there's some things that can be it's still tough. There's still a lot of words that I don't know. But okay. in conversation, you can kind of, you know, you can get the logistics or the sure. logist of a lot of it and it can kind sure. of hop over. Okay. But that can also bite you in the in the ass at the same time too, you know. You can think that, oh yeah, I got this all under control. Oh yeah, definitely. You suddenly you, you give an answer to a question and they're looking at you like, what? <laughs> like, I didn't get that, did Something's I? Something's wrong here. Yeah, something ain't right. But it's getting better, you know. That's I, I, it. You're obviously uh got the couple languages there too so you know that you got to speak them to to be better and not be afraid yeah, definitely not be afraid to make mistakes so definitely definitely but then again how does it work for you uh with danish because you i know danish and swedish are, are related like polish and czech for example sometimes if a czech speaks very slowly i can i can get i can get the general idea of what he's trying to to communicate to me does it work for you as well with danish i think it's I think it's that Danish is easier. The Danish, the Danish people have easier to understand Swedish than we have to understand Danish. Oh, okay. In the same manner, like you just said too, it feels like for me the Danish is a really fast, and like the words kind of blend in together, almost like they're uh -huh. in a way. But Swedish seems to be a little bit more hard. Danish is more or I don't know what okay. you call that. It's like they have. Okay, it's more like a German, like a Germanic. It, with the German a little, isn't it? Is it? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Nah. I, I don't know, actually. It could be. I, I've, yeah. I've spent okay. so much time with, with Danish people in the past, too, and I lived with Eric Gunderson for a year, too, and mm -hmm. I, I learned a lot of Danish words, so I, I can pick up a lot of words when they speak, yeah. but, man, when they get going, no chance at all. It's yeah, like, it just flows, and you just go, oh, yeah, you'll catch the odd word here and there, but it's, uh -uh. it's hard. It's really hard. I think that we can we can speak with each other if we we're talking slowly, but most of the time we switch to English. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's the funny part. You see the Danes and the Swedes talking to each other in English. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's yeah, we have a lot of customers in 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 Denmark, but it's easier in in English. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most uh, most Swedes speak English too. <coughs> you know that yourself. All Sc all Scandinavian, all fairness. I remember the first time I came over, uh, we were. I mean, this was before GPS and stuff like that. We were. I think racing in Hog Force 97 and we're driving up and I'm asking for direction or something like that. And I come up to a gas station and the first question, excuse me, do you speak English? And she says, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I'd ask a question or whatever. And then after the second or third time, it was a matter, I'd walk in, I'd just start speaking English. I wouldn't ask her, does she speak English? Yeah. But you, you already know that, I mean, 90%, well, maybe not 90, whatever. Uh, most, of the, most of the citizens in, in Sweden uh, speak uh, Swedish, uh, English. Yeah. I even like uh, ordering a part for my wife's car recently too, and I had to call the the, the dealer, and 
And of course they speak English, but I still did the same. Like, I'm going to try to speak to this guy and ask him about the part in Swedish, but I have no idea what the word is in Swedish uh -huh. I need to use. So I'm going to just, Hey, do you speak English? And he said, a little. And then we started to speak and he spoke English like perfect. Uh -huh. <laughs> like perfect. Yeah. If I asked him, he said, a little. But then sure. when you started talking, he was, he was perfect. Keep it on the safe side for him then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He kind of covered his covered all ground. That's it. Covered all his bases. Company or <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. There's also uh, when Tomek was racing, when there was people riders from the the uh, from the county of Bidgost. So it was Tomek back in the day. Then there was Emil because he was riding for Polonia, mm -hmm. and then there was someone riding from uh, from Torun because that's Torun and, and Bidgost are from the same county. Mm -hmm. The region is called Pomoja and Kuyas, and there's a radio, Pomoja and Kuya, but what, and they make it short, it's P and K, mm -hmm. but P and K, and with the, uh, the and in Polish is E, with it, which is an I, and together they had, a, they had a radio station, and they'd always go to the Grand Prix and, and do the commentating, and they had their company van, and it's always radio P-I-K. But P-I-K in Danish is Dick. So it was Radio That's Dick. Right. And all the, all, the, all the Danes would always laugh. Oh, look, there goes Radio <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Dick's in the house. That's it. <laughs> so there, there's a, 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 something we, we would have never known, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so, and uh, I always remember Niels and, and, and Nikki were always laughing. And, oh, here we go. Here well, we go have, again. You have kind of a similar thing in Swedish, too, with the, with the pit. Yeah. With the pit. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Oh, same, of, okay. Oh, yeah. Kind That's of the right. Same situation. Okay. Said, you want to meet me in my pits? And they're like, <laughs> you, mean the de, you mean the depot? In Swedish? Depot. The depot. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Those are, those are little things like that that uh, you, you experience through, through travel and through, through being able to, to see many people and, and, and places like that. Exactly. <laughs> you got to have a giggle. Exactly. Exactly. Through all the giggles, man, you guys, you obviously worked hard as a manager, as a, you know, a, a partner, a friend and everything with Thomas too. And then the whole team you guys have around you, the amount of years, if we, if we look at, at the career that you guys, you ran through the team, Thomas was so close so many times to win the world titles. And it was mm -hmm. like, it felt like Poland and the people and the sponsors and everything, they were, they're pushing so hard, so hard to, to see him there and he was almost there so many times and then 2010 you guys nailed it right you had the yep. year of all years and everything the stars lined up the the luck lined up but i you know i'm we've stefan i've been talking about this recently too like ingmar stenmark the swedish uh yeah yeah and i know him. Mm -mm. his one of the quotes was something about luck yeah. and they said after all the winning yeah well you were pretty lucky right and he said no i I can't remember exactly how it's quoted, but like I trained so hard that I made my own luck or something uh -huh, like that. Uh -huh. So wouldn't you agree in that sense too with Thomas? I mean, luck is one thing, but that guy works hard, hard, and he's done so many hours. I know stories and I remember hearing, you know, late at night when practice is finished and everything's done and suddenly you can hear a guy going around in the middle of the night around the track and you look, it looks like there's one light on at the track. And lo and behold, that was the, the man himself out there still ripping laps in the middle of the night, trying to work it out. So whether, no matter what was going on, that just showed the determination, the hard work oh, yeah. effort to find that last little bit to, to so win. You're talking about determination. He, he was so determined sometimes. 
Uh, we had a league meeting, which is a local derby, Torun uh, Bedgosh in Torun. Mm-hmm. Thomas scored 14 points, dropped a point to uh, a rider you might have heard of again, Perjansson. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah that's, it. it's not it's not uh, a, an embarrassment to drop a point to Per. Right. Tommy on the way back, and this is a, literally like a forty minute back drive back home. He's fuming. He was he, being a younger kid, obviously. He's just, oh my god, how did I do that? Every point he dropped wasn't a point that. It, oh, it's a it's a point. It's oh my god, I lost the point type type deal. We came back to the track. He says, "I got to practice. I got. I got. I got to get an idea in my head. I got to try something because I won't fall asleep. I got. Right. I made a mistake." And we're telling him, "Tomek, there's no one at the track. There's no lights. Not a problem. Everyone had to pull their car up onto the track, turn on their headlights." <laughs> and we're telling him, "But the track is dry." He had his mechanics, the helpers, everyone around him. We had little like water things, like where you water flowers, like gardener's water, like a little bucket, whatever. We're we're putting a little water just on one strip so you can make a practice start on a semi-grippy track. He did a few practice starts. Okay, okay, I think I know, what I, I, know I know where the problem is. Okay, now I can go to sleep. Okay, guys, see you tomorrow or whatever. Oh, <laughs> We're up at midnight on a pitch black track in Bidgosh with headlights on the track. We're watering just a, just a, I mean, just a rut for him to do a practice start so he can do two or three practice starts. I mean, that, that, that's how determined he was. Wow, you talk. Uh, otherwise, I, I, you know, in one part, I can, I can totally understand what he's coming from too, because I, I, I'm, I'm a freak like that. I don't have the kind of knowledge that he does as far as the mechanics of the engine and how he, he's, he's definitely got a really good feel. But I know what I want, and I just sure. gotta have somebody to make it work for me, right? You gotta exactly. I want it to do yeah. this and do this and do this. But I've, sure. I've had numerous nights where I'm driving home, and I wish I could find that track where uh-huh. I didn't, you know, I didn't have the key to open the, the place. Sure, sure there whatever but uh-huh. to lay in bed you're thinking i gotta try this and i hope that tomorrow i have the same feeling about this when i wake up and i want to mm-hmm. do it and whatever but he was doing it you know? sure sure he was he was and, no. but then there's there's instances where sometimes i couldn't understand them uh the first meeting our first very first this was your very first one as well the very first uh one-off track meeting we ever had which is in cardiff 2001 mm-hmm. so it's a new experience for all of us uh, Tomek being this, the, the meeting, he's not having a good meeting. We do some Mickey Mouse setup. We never ever did a setup like that again. Uh, I, after after the meeting, I, I'll tell you, Greg, if you want to hear about it. Uh, we do a Mickey Mouse setup. He wins three, three, and this is this is the knockout system. If you remember, this yep. is the two heats. You go back. So he had a bad one. He had a good one. Then he had another bad one. Then we did a change, and then he went through all the qualifications, and everything was all fine. He goes up to the semifinal. Everything's three, three, three later on. He comes up to the final. He's got first choice. <laughs> Back then, gate one is the best gate. That's, I mean, that's a given. He mm-hmm. has first choice. And this, is, this was back in the day where the, the mechanic, or I, I woke up, I walked up with him this time as well, where the mechanic walked up to the tapes and where the rider was choosing by like picking up like a, like a, like a flag or whatever, yeah, like which gate you want to start yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. And I got the red helmet in my hand. I mean, it's a given. We're taking gate one because it's the best gate. Oh, and he's no. kicking left and right. And I said, okay, it's a psychological game. He's playing. He's playing everyone for time. And he's yeah. going one, four, three, two, one, four, three, two. And I was like, come on, Tommy. I mean, we're going to take one. And Tony Rickardson is standing right next to me. And he, he's, already, he's already looking at number two because Tommy is going to take one. So he's going to take number two, which is the second best gate. And Tommy, for some reason, picks up the blue one. And I remember Tony looking at me like what the hell just happened what did he just do he just <laughs> lost the final 
And of course, he did lose the final. Tomek took two. Obviously, Tony, straight to one. Then Crumpy, I think, took three. And then I think it was, I don't know, Nicholas Klingberg was from four or something like that. And Tommy was third in front of Nicholas. But we lost the final there. And I said, what do you, why did you choose that one? He says, because I thought the rut was a little too deep. But I said, Tommy, but you just won the last three or two or three heats from one. He was scared that he'd bog down on, on, the, on the silence or whatever. But totally. So, so right. in, in all aspects, he, he, he was the man. He had, he had the, the knowledge and everything, but he, he is human and he does make mistakes as well, like we all do. Yeah. No, but that's, you know what, I've, done, I've had these arguments with my guys too. I've taken something against what they, you know, the obvious. I'm like, yeah, but the same deal. The reps are so deep. This has happened to us totally. The reps are uh -huh. so deep and I'm too afraid that it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit when you drop the clutch, the pipes can sure. bottom out on the ground and I'm not going to get the jump. The rut's too deep for the bike. Sure. Sure. And, uh, but I mean, nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm notorious for, for digging until it's like the last second, you know, before uh -uh. you, you got to be lined up. But because a lot of times I need every minute of that two minutes, every second sure. of that two minutes to, sure. to pop that rut down and I got to be in it. So I've got to find a way to make the pipe not hit. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. exactly. uh, yeah. It's a game though, but you know, you, sometimes sometimes it works and you go uh -huh. and everybody's going no way but they're the first ones to remind you that you should have taken one when you when it doesn't go that's right it. that's <laughs> it exactly exactly Probably you're always asking me before what what my job was also with working with Tomic. i would like i always like to because in all fairness we all know it's a psychological game as well there's only as much kit there's only as much fitness and then there's a psychological aspect as well and uh I used to break down, I'd break down is maybe not the correct word, but uh, I'd like to analyze the, the riders and I'd find little, little quirks, little things that they did. And I know if that rider, the opponent on the day was dialed in, was he psychologically there? Do we have a chance to win against him? And I, yeah. there was little things I'd, I'd tell Tomek because he always liked, Tomek likes to always know who he's racing against from what gate. He always wanted to know that. And I used to break down the riders and like what they were doing. And, and uh, I won't give you too many details about the riders who are currently still racing, but uh, some of the riders, they do their own little thing that if you look at them, you'll know on the, on the time that he's, he's there, he's on his game, he's at his A game there, or he's sort of not there. And then there's, and then there's aspects where riders would have their habits that they do things that, they can't, they won't uh, race without doing that little thing. Like, I'll give you an example here. <laughs> Scott Nichols won't put his leg over a bike. He always walks onto his bike from behind. Oh. So, something like that. Then there's other ones, but they're still racing. So I don't want to, in all fairness, Scott is still racing, but I'm talking about Grand Prix riders. I don't want to go into too many details. I want to open up all their secrets, Pandora's box. So I won't do that. But when they stop racing the Grand Prix, I'll open up that box again. And I'll let you know a few details. But yeah, we'll I, save, I know we'll save, this, we'll save this podcast for another. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Exactly. 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 But uh, everyone did their own little thing, and then I knew watching them what when the when they have their a, a game there. Wow. It's not fairness. You know that as well, Greg. There's oh, yeah. uh, there's only so much kit, so much going back to the luck. You can when I was saying about luck. You can choose, you can get, uh, uh, you can get, uh, what do you call, uh, you can draw a better or worse riding number on a dirt, on a certain track. Yeah. Hmm. And I'll, I mean, if, if you're, if you're, if you got your A game there and everything works for you, you can win four times from gate three if, if need be, or from four or whatever. But yeah. sometimes there are numbers. That's what I was talking about the luck. 
sometimes there are numbers that are just <clears throat> a little unfortunate. And, and for example, my, my, my worst number, if I was always to choose something, was gate, is number three. Because yeah. you're starting three, four, three. And if on a one-off track or on a small track, that sort of hurts. Because you're coming back and you score an up point or, or maybe, maybe if you're lucky, two points. But you don't know if it's, if it's you <clears throat> or if it's the kit or what do we change. Because the inside gates, where there's so much, sometimes they're so much better that your one point is actually not bad because you did it from three. Mm. But you don't have a time. You don't, you don't get that choice to go from three to one and then know that, okay, now that's right. It was, it, I'm pretty well dialed in. It was, I got the one point because it was gate three, not because it's the kit. Because you go from three to four and now back to three again. Yeah. And you don't know if you're, should, we, should we play around with the kit or we just leave it as is and wait and hope for the best from gate one and two. Because by then it could be finished. Right. And you know, like you said there too, you becoming psychological too. So you know that if you got that, that draw position where you have gate number three, gate number four, gate number three, mm -hmm. the odds are against you Yeah, from that point. So I used to, I used to, and I should say I still do. <laughs> uh, I take that as a, as a challenge, right? So okay. the odds are Make against me. So this is a challenge. This is a test. Sure. And I'm sure, all sure. about the, Hey, Hey, that's yeah. the test of all tests. I'm in. So you got, you're going to make it happen. I got to make it happen. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, that's, that's it. And I'm going to prove, it. I'm going to prove everyone. I'm going to prove sure. the system wrong. Sure. And, uh, you know, probably there's probably a 50, 50 chance that it works, sure. but you, but, 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 yeah. but your, but your attitude towards that situation, which is against you, makes you the person and the writer you are today. That's why you have as many world titles as you do. Whereas other writers have a situation like that because everyone can draw that number. That's a given. And sometimes they already, Oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. And he's already he's coming done. up to the present, to the parade or whatever, the presentation. He's already bummed out. He's done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Or even worse, because you draw on, on the Friday on the practice. So he's got all of Friday and all the <laughs> night. He's already, he's already psychologically killing himself. And, and that's <laughs> killing himself, which is making it that much harder for his team, for the rider, for, for everything to get it set him up. Because even if they set him up perfectly, he's already going to the tapes. Oh my God! I got three, four, three. Oh, jeez. I'm done. That's it. This is gonna be rough. That's it. And, and going back to the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about Eric Gunderson. That was one one of the first things I picked up from him in my early career. That attitude and the approach to uh -huh. a track, to a gate position, to a heat. That's it. Makes all the difference. That's it. That's you it. You know, we've all got our our little things, and everybody's got their own way of of like. Uh, trying to, to test themselves or challenge uh, themselves in that uh, scenario. Uh, and, and some guys, look, they got to know what riders are against, what heat, what game sure, position, sure. whatever. And on the yeah. other way, it's like, I don't care who's in the heat. I don't care what position I'm in. All I know is every heat's going to be freaking hard. And I, I've got to be have my A game wherever I go. And it's another test. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're, here, here's another. Uh, we're talking about psychology. Uh, Tomek was that much, always so much uh, psychologically dialed in. He had... He was the kind of person, rider that the harder the situation, the better for him. And I'll give you an example. We've had situations where uh, he's on, let's say, eight points. He's got his last ride. And Tomek, we need one point to make the semis. And you're going against three other riders, and they have two, three, and one point. So in all fairness, not to be disrespectful, but the riders who have had a hard night. Mm -hmm. You know what, play, he'll, what position he'll take? He'll take fourth place. He won't win that one. But then he was always like that. But if I put him to a situation where Tomek, we got to win this one, but there's a problem. It's Greg, it's Tony and it's Hans, and they're all on, I don't know, 12 points. They haven't dropped a point yet. 
trust me, I'm going to win it. And he goes out and smokes them. <laughs> I mean, exactly, yeah. and, oh, and one more thing, Tommy, you're from gate three. Yeah. They've got 12 points. You got eight. They haven't lost a point yet. They're on fire, all three of them. You got to win it. You can't even come second. You got to win it. Boom, done. Gate three is <laughs> the hardest. The harder the situation, the better it was for him, always as a rider. We had a situation where in Sweden, in the Swedish league, you do home and away. And sometimes if it's tied home and away, you, you have a runoff for the bonus point. You know what this is like. Right. And we had a runoff against, oh, God, I can't remember where Peter Carlson was racing on that, on that, in that time. Uh, wherever. I can't remember the team. But anyway, it's a runoff. And PK's like on 16. He's dropped a point or two. And we're in Vastervik. PK's on fire. And we got to put up a rider each. So they put up PK. We put up Tomek. Or the, the team puts up Tomek. And they say, uh, we got to win for the bonus point. And Tomek wasn't having the best of nights. But it's a situation. It's a do or die one. And before Tomek goes out, he says, go up to the manager. Tomek, he tells me this. And tell him we already got the bonus point. I said, Tomek, don't fuck around. I mean, this is, this is serious. We need the bonus point to make the playoffs or whatever. Said, tell him the bonus point is got. We got it. Of course, he goes out, he beats PK. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you, you got to be pretty confident to say oh, something like yeah. that before heat. Yeah, yeah, before the heat. And you're, and you're looking at him going, right, okay, I'll just go pass that. Yeah, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go tell him that right now. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do I'm that. just the delivery guy here. I'm just the message <laughs> man. That's it. Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's Thomas it. Thomas is so. like the, you know, I mean, watching him in Grand Prix practices and stuff too, it was, was nearly pointless. Mm -hmm. to pay attention to Thomas and, and Grand Prix practice because he went out there and never once really gassed it. No. He went out there and just was feeling, playing, testing, looking, uh -huh. trying to do this and that. And then he would just pack up and just call it a day. Mm -hmm. Maybe not do his last round sometimes or yeah, yeah. something. You watch him do a practice start and you think, okay, he looks terrible. Mm -hmm. That'd be quick. And then he comes out the next day and just makes everybody look like that's what God do, right? Oh. And so you can never that that part of it. I always watch him like, man, there's something about this guy that's you are you have to watch him because mm -hmm. he's doing something there and he's looking for something. And all you can try to do is take a piece out of what he's doing and and try to use it for yourself. And the best one is some. I train some of the kids nowadays today, and I use Thomas as a prime example. I'm like, there is. I've said this to you too. Like, yeah, yeah. There is no better rider in the world than Thomas Golub, in my own opinion. The guy is the most natural. He is the most. He he's like poetry on a motorcycle. He he dances on the bike. He's rides with his fingertips, and I don't know that I've ever seen him once ride with his hands on the grips. No. You know, like really like this he mm -hmm. just tries everything and it's so calculated no matter how the track conditions are no matter what he does everything he just he goes like a an enduro rider in the forest he just bounces mm -hmm. from point to point bang 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 and he just goes right mm -hmm. and when you watch him practice when he's on his i saw him in big gosh once in a practice when he was really doing something that i tell all the kids today like thomas Gollum, he does this and he rides around the fence at a very slow speed and he tests he like he he kind of puts the bike right up against the edge of the fence and and he'll go around there and he'll go as fast as he can you know and then at some point you can't ride on the fence full gas you have to turn to make the corner and i you know you have to understand it and see it and and try it 
together to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. But the feeling that that guy has for the motorcycle, a, a speed road bike, which is not like your average motorcycle, you know, it's like a piece of spaghetti, you know, the thing rides mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. And here's this guy putting the bike, trying to make that piece of spaghetti, like, like uh, put it in, in, in its full sprung position and just doing that with the throttle, playing with it and just not at the one point where he has to like roll it off a little bit to bring the spring out of it and then whack and then he freaking <laughs> just goes. That's how I look at Thomas Golub. And I think mm-hmm. there's not many people in the world, if there is any, that can do it like that. Sure. So I always look at the three guys who ride the gas like the way they did it was it was Hans, which is Thomas's by the way, idol and, and Tomic always uh uh try to do as many things as 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 Hans. He was he was even if you watch some of the old uh the 90s uh, grand prix and they're in a heat together it looks like a mirror copy the way when they dump the clutch the way they put their legs everything it's like they're twins right you watch some of the old youtube the, the heats where thomas and hans are in the heat together unbelievable and so Tommy did a lot of he learned a lot from hans and the other rider i always admire with throttle control was lee right he was always a, I, i called him like a guitar player because he was up there Playing his guitar, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, <laughs> like textbook speedway, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're looking for the grip. They weren't looking for the, the spin. They wanted to hook. They wanted the bike to hook up, and just get that enough pull just to keep pulling forward. Doing the same thing in two different ways. Yeah, exactly. The way they set on the bike, and it's just mm-hmm. they kept the. And you're right about hands too, because he would, he he was a throttle happy guy. You know, he could keep sure. it nailed the way he he. He set his equipment up and, and um, he kept the, the, the bike sprung in mm-hmm. such a manner. So if it unsprung in the wrong point, then you're in trouble. So you got to keep it. it so it's follows That's the track it. and follows. But in all fairness, both of those riders very rarely uh, allowed the bike to be uh, find themselves in a situation where they had a problem. Yeah. They, just, they had it nailed in. I guess maybe I watch some of the young kids sometimes and uh, – I, I, like I said, I never rode Speedway myself, but watching it so so many years and, and, and going through the ranks and stuff like that, I, I feel like I got I got some knowledge. And but w- right. what I'm talking about is the the problems I see with the young kids on them coming out of the corners picking their legs up. And I said sometimes that's where they're losing. Sometimes where where they when they have a problem, it's too late, and that's where they lose a lot because yeah. by the time they get their leg back down on the footrest. And they lock up or they fix their whatever it's they instead of gaining speed and getting momentum they've lost it some yeah. it'll work but it's a 50 50 sometimes you can balance and you take your leg off because they're balancing i can understand that but yeah. if you come to a situation where you have a problem having that leg already on the footrest helps you out but you can get out of the problem quicker yeah that's that's your that's your stability that's your backbone on the bike that's it that's it and how many accidents have we seen happen because of Ooh. that Oh, I've been on the receiving end of, of one or two of those. And uh, exactly. You know, and it's, you just, you know, you, we all take our foot off the peg at some point sometimes. And, um, but every, some of the other guys do it in such a place, an odd position where you need your foot on the peg mm-hmm. to keep the stability of the bike, to keep it sprung, to keep it working. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we talk about all day long. It's a lot of the guys refer to it as modern day speedway. And we refer to it as, you know, okay, I'm old school, but actually, sure think about a speeder bike that that big foot peg there that's on the on the right side of the bike they're for for a main it's a reason <laughs> that's it that's it and we can we can go back and forth if speedways change or not i always i remember the in, uh, many times we were in voyance for the grand prix there uh, and there's a town next to voyance Hattersleff. 
and there's the Hotel, Hotel Norden. Anyone who's been in, in Voyans and has been in Hadrislav has seen the Hotel Norden. It's a little, very small hotel. And in the, in the lobby of the reception, there is uh, uh, Ole Olsen's motorcycle. It's all gold-plated. It's one of his motorcycles he won the world title on. His sponsor gold-plated, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a museum piece, I guess you could say, and it's, it's in the reception. And many a time, you know, the waiting game, uh, Saturday morning you wake up, you have your breakfast, and then it's a waiting game till the meeting starts at whatever. Usually the mechanics go earlier because they got to do the, the scrutineering and stuff like that. But sometimes I would stay with Tomek because we have more time, et cetera, et cetera. And after breakfast, I got my cup of coffee, and I'm just walking. I'm sitting in the reception, just killing time. And you're looking at this bike, and you look, rock, walk around it once, twice, three times, whatever. And it's a 1971, I think it was his first world title that he won or whatever. I'm looking at this bike, and, and we're at today's times, and I got the most modern bikes because we were in the Grand Prix, and everyone's got these, I mean, all this technology, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm looking, I'm, talk, I'm talking to myself, I said, listen, this is not, nothing's changed. I mean, little things, technology-wise, I mean, of course, we can go through the engine, titanium, et cetera, two-valve, four-valve, but besides that, the bike itself as a chassis, mm -hmm. the only big change is it's six springs into the clutch instead of three. Right. <laughs> I mean, the seat's gotten shorter, okay, fair enough, but in general, it's a sprocket, it's two chains, it's, uh, it's a gas thing, it's a handlebar, it's a change a little, but little little thing but technology wise the bike not the engine no. it's a, it's a, it's the three springs in, in the clutch which and, is and the amount of times that we've all tried to make the speeder bike better you end up coming uh, right back to what right back yeah. uh, andreas was uh, i think the best one of those he he always had some mickey mouse ideas yeah i've seen him put a motocross front wheel a motocross uh, wheel on the front yeah and he went from that idea really quick yeah <laughs> okay it's a wider one it'll give you more grip uh, -uh it doesn't work like that no it's so funny we've all i haven't tried that one but we've tried with motocross style forks you know really trimmed down and everything they're so sure. nice to ride with but you can't get full lock and sure it, it just doesn't work it's chassis wise we've done everything to make the chassis designed off from the engineer's perspective and you go mm -hmm. like no so then you have to back up and then make a few adjustments just to help your style you know and exactly, worked out exactly. Well. but then I have, a, I have a good question Okay. <laughs> oh, hit us. If the exhauster is a problem when you're starting, why don't you just move it up? Well, we've already got it moved up so high. <laughs> but on, yes. a, on, a, on a motorbike, on a cross bike, yeah. you have it right under the. Yeah. Oh, you mean move it way up there? Uh, yeah. We have what they call uh, FIM regulation. So we have at this point oh, we have we have like the pipe has to go to it in a certain angle. It has to be a certain length. So you, you have to make sure that it goes all this way and that way. And the exhaust pipe, the, the, the silencer at the back has to be pointing in a specific direction at a certain height. So mm -hmm. it can't be pointing down, it can't be pointing up. It's got, you know, so we have all these- Regulations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's, it's, a, it's a point. And I mean, these days we all ask them because a lot of speedway tracks too, Thomas, right? They, they haven't changed much over the years either. You're seeing these days, uh, fortunately, like Torin and and uh, Bidgosh was always great. You can never complain mm -hmm. about that. But a lot of tracks seem to be now trying to make wider tracks uh, because the bikes are getting quicker, of course, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the tracks are not changing. So mm -hmm. we're getting too fast for the tracks. Ah, the yeah. bikes are getting better than the tracks are, are allowed to, to, what they can handle, in my opinion. But then, you know, they're making some of the indoor tracks, even like Melbourne was great. Um, whichever one, I mean, the Warsaw. 
uh -huh. when they're, they're also quite wide. So they're making those tracks better, right? And they're making them a little bit harder surfaces so that we're not able to dig down too much. So we shouldn't have these issues. Uh -huh. But those are common problems for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they're not easy solutions, but good question. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, well, there, there's, a, there's a few items I think we could discuss, but we will, hopefully we won't go that direction regarding the FIM and some of the rules and regulations there. Those, <laughs> that's, another, that's another podcast time free. Yeah, yeah. and another can the, of the, the trick question is, who are you going to invite for that one? Yeah, that's right. Well, that one will have to be around the table. That, oh, I think so. That, that's right. That's right. You put the microphone right there so it gets everybody's voice, and then you just you just exactly. kind of it loose and throw the question out there and see what comes that's, back. That's it. That's <laughs> a free for all, for sure. Well, yeah. hey, Thomas, we really, really appreciate uh, you giving us all this time, and of course, you know, it's always fun to get to know you uh, in ways that we maybe we haven't had a chance to get to know you. You know, and for a lot of people out there, and the ones we we talk to and. And deal with you know they don't know who you are in that way and um, this is fun I know you in, in one manner and it's, it's it's really really cool to hear your story and how you became the guy you are today coming from the States and the dude as Sam always referred to as he knows our lingo man he can say dude and bro <laughs> I've never so Sam always that. said that before Sam Sam always told me that many dude Thomas is That's cool he can speak our lingo that's it. That's cool. That's cool. Here's another Sam one. Sam, back, back in, the, in the time before we finish really quick, uh, the foreigners are always sort of afraid to eat. I mean, now everyone enjoys Polish food and it's nice and everything, but back in the day, people were a little afraid to eat it. So Sam would always come over to our house and he, his, his food before a meeting would be a, a piece of toast, a banana, and covered with honey. <laughs> and that was his, it was, it was always his favorite snack before, before a meeting. He was safe. That's it. He was safe. Henka, for example, wouldn't eat any, any Polish food. He was scared. He, the only thing he was, he, he'd get in the taxi. He'd have a map of all the McDonald's in Poland. <laughs> he'd drive, if he had to be a 12-hour drive, we're driving 12 hours. I got to get a Big Mac. That's it. I'm not, I'm not eating any Polish food. Oh, oh my shit. gosh. That's so awesome. <laughs> that's it. But we're talking early 90s, so like I said, di different times. Yeah, different yeah for times. sure. And if you would just venture out and try it, you might have realized yeah. that actually everything was great. That's it. Great. <laughs> that's definitely definitely healthier than McDee's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, right? That's Kelly Moran always used to carry around a bottle of Tabasco with him. So whatever he had, he just covered it with Tabasco and then <laughs> he just ate it. Really? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good story, too. Always had Tabasco with him. So when he traveled in the Eastern countries, he would just douse everything with Tabasco and he wouldn't taste it. <laughs> uh huh. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's a good, that's a cool uh, story as well. <laughs> well, dude, again, we thank you, and please give our our send our best wishes in regards to to the man himself. Uh, Will do. Will do. He's, he's uh, yeah, you know, we love that guy, and we miss him, and uh, everybody wants to see him around the tracks again at some point. So uh, we hope that we, that day is going to come sooner than later. Okay, we'll do. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, maybe I'll, I can come over some time again to to do your uh, podcast. Absolutely, or we'll join you there wherever. It would be it'd be a pleasure to have you around the room and then then we'll open those cans of worms. That's it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thank you. And we'll be in touch. You got Thank it, buddy. Thanks so again. All the best to all of you guys. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye.
Welcome to Real 45 with Stefan and Greg Hancock. We vibe out and have real talk, so tune in and check this out. Yeah, today is a new day. Let's seize it now and get hyped. We talking about our careers, our family, and just life. Yeah, share my story with you. Inspiration like every day. Real 45, we gon' keep it live. I keep episodes on replay. Hey, Real 45. Yeah, Real 45. Show them how we do it, man. Yeah.